passage as we walk through Psalm 22 together. You who fear the Lord, praise Him, all you offspring of Jacob, glorify Him, and stand in awe of Him, all you offspring of Israel. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O God, you see that of ourselves we have no strength. By your mighty power, defend us from all adversities that may happen to the body, and from all evil thoughts that may assault and hurt the soul. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. I invite you to rise in honor of the gospel. And from Mark's gospel in the 8th chapter. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others say one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for gathering us into your presence. Uh, to receive your words, to receive your gifts, 
We pray you move by your spirit to remove distractions from our hearts and minds as we hear plainly once again what you have done for us in Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen. Again, as we continue on in this season of Lent, we bounce around in the timeline of Jesus' life, and we've moved from chapter 1 last week into chapter 8 of Mark's Gospel. Further on down the road as Jesus has healed people and cast demons out and taught. And yet this is the first time in it, this Gospel we actually says very plainly and simply who he is and what he's come to do. But the setting where it happens is pretty interesting, too. So they have left Galilee, and they're walking north to the region and the villages around Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is a really kind of dark, weird place. Uh, But as you head up there, one of the main things that's gone on in Caesarea Philippi from a few centuries before Jesus' time to centuries after Jesus' time was the worship of the Greek god Pan. And Pan was worshipped in this grotto, this cave that was there. He was the uh, god of the wilderness, the god of flocks, the god of fertility. And there were practices that went on there that are unmentionable in this area. It's a very spiritually dark place. And as Jesus is walking with his disciples up into this place that is named after Herod's brother Philip, because of things that went on and within the family, and Herod said, you know what, in tribute to you, we're going to name a city, uh, of course, to Caesar first, but then also to you, my brother Philip, to make up for the fact that I took your wife. This is good stuff. Uh, so he said, we're going to name that place after you, that'll be your place. Uh, as Jesus is walking up there with his disciples, he says, all right, here we are in this land of darkness, in this place where People are following all kinds of different gods. So who do men say that I am? Who is it? What have you been hearing? What's the word on the street? What's the grapevine going on about me? Who is it that men say that I am? John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. I mean, somebody important. Possibly somebody come back from the dead. All right. Who do you say that I am? And you got to love Peter there, right? The voice of all the disciples right there. Just to stand up, well, you're the Christ. In the other Gospels, we get more of a conversation. But in Mark's Gospel, we just get that. You're the Christ. Jesus says, that's right. Here's what it looks like for the Christ. I'm going to suffer the hands of the religious leaders. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. Again, in the other Gospels, we get a little bit more of a conversation. And in this one, in Mark's Gospel, he leaves it very plainly. He just says, and Peter rebuked him. Huh. That seems kind of strange. Why would Peter rebuke Jesus for saying something so plainly and so simply? Something that the demons earlier had been calling out about Jesus, about him being Lord, about him being the Son of God, about him being the Holy One of God. They've heard some of these words before, but now we hear from Jesus' lips how simply it's all going to go. How his plan and his will is going to work out what his work is that he has come to do and the things that the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah is going to need to do. And Peter says, no, no. That's not how it's going to go. I want you to think real quick for just a second in your life. How many times 
Have you been in the midst of something? Had a desire upon your own heart and the way you think things should go and it's just not quite working out right and the first prayer that comes out of your mouth is, God, what's going on? You're not listening to me. This isn't the way things are supposed to go. I've got my track. I've got my work. I've got my things that I'm supposed to do and you're supposed to support it and follow me. How come you're not doing what I want, God? I imagine in Peter's mind for the Christ, Christ was the one who was going to lift God's people up. Christ was the one who was going to get the oppression of the Romans off. The Christ was the one that was going to wipe out all of the worship of the other gods. The Christ was the one who was going to put the people of Israel back up on the map. The Christ was the one who was going to gather some other people around him to be in their courts. And, you know, you got these 12 disciples and Peter being one of them. Well, you got this guy that can cast out demons, heal people, has strength over weather, and he's the Holy One of God. He's a pretty good guy to walk along with. Imagine in Peter's mind there for just a second, maybe, he's imagining what it's going to be like to be in the courts of the king. It's going to be pretty nice. I'm sure there's a few years worth of walking around in the dust as we get the name out, but you know, once the name's out, once he's on the throne of David and sitting in the kingly spots and got everything going right again, it's going to be nice. Maybe that's one thought of Peter's. Another one might even be giving the religious leaders the benefit of the doubt. Jesus, what do you mean the religious leaders are going to kill you? They're going to love you. They know God's word. How could they ever come about and kill you? They're going to have to listen to you. I mean, the demons listen to you. They're going to have to hear your word. They're going to have to trust in who you are. I don't know. Maybe a perspective for that. But I love that open opportunity in Mark's gospel that lets us start to think about, too, how it is to hear hard words, even when they're said simply. I mean, there's joyous ones, right? About walking into work one day, and in a short sentence, your bo <clears throat> boss comes over and says, hey, you're being promoted. You have no idea why, you have no reason why, you've just been working along, doing your thing, and they walk in and say, hey, you're being promoted, we're going to hand you, um, I don't know, $15 more an hour, uh, but maybe you're on salary, so we're going to double your pay. What? Right? It'd be hard to wrap your head around. You start trying to figure out why, what, and I'd receive it, of course. But you're know, just trying to figure out what's going on with all of it and trying to think, wow, this is just amazing. It's hard to wrap our heads around simple words. Coming home as a husband, your wife says, I'm pregnant. It's a very short sentence that has a very big impact. Right? And silly words come out of our mouths sometimes. How? Never mind. <laughs> we get it. You know, what, how long have you... No, what is going... And then finally it just stops and you say, Awesome. Might be other thoughts that are rolling around, like what are we going to do? How are we going to pay for this? What? Got to buy another crib? All that kind of stuff, right? But these simple words that have such a big impact. There's other ones that are harder to handle. You have cancer. That's a hard one, right? Your friend from high school died. Again, simple words that are hard to hear and hard to receive sometimes. And more often than not, when words like that come about, our first response is a lot like Peter's. No, that can't be. 
don't want it to be that way. Right? And we hear the words from God about ourselves at times. You are a sinner. No. Really? Am I? Am I that bad? And we hear Paul's words to the Romans, right? While you were enemies of God. Ooh, that's even worse. While you're enemies of God, at the right time, he sent his son to be the Christ, to be the Savior, to be the one who would reconcile things, to be the one who would make things right. So simply said, so hard to wrap our heads around at times, because we want to hand to God our will. We want to hand to God the way we would have things done. We want to have God come in and support the life we're shaping rather than live in a life that God has shaped. It's a hard thing to have somebody else shape the direction in life in which you're going to go. We're raised to be very independent. We're raised to do things on our own more often than not. We're raised to have a confidence in what we are doing so that we can build the best of things for ourselves. And more often than not, we find that not all of those work out very well. Not all of them always follow God's track and God's word and God's will. So it's a prayerful thing each day to try to simply hear God's words and to remember that there are so many places he takes you that are good and so many people he brings into your life that need the gifts that he's given you. A gift of presence, a gift of words, a gift of care, whatever other skills and things he's given you to share with folks. And it's not very complicated way of life. It's a very simple way of life. Just live in the love and the grace that God has given you in Jesus and as he directs your feet each day and take care of each other. I mean, that's what he summed the whole law up with, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself and then later love your neighbor as I have loved you, as I have cared for you. So as he simply said to Peter, we can hear it again. It was for the Christ, the Messiah, to suffer at the hands of the leaders, to die in our place upon the cross and suffer the wrath of God, to become sin who knew no sin, and to be the one who would suffer all of the punishment for that sin and bury it, but then rise again and hand over to you life and forgiveness and grace. So that though we feel the effects and the consequences of sin throughout our lives, at the end of all things, he still raises us up to life. He counts us as his own. As he is the king over all creation. As he is the one who has power over all things. And as he has claimed you as his very own in baptism and in the faith that he has given you to hold on to those promises of life and forgiveness in him as he is risen from the dead so shall you be so that when the day comes that he comes back it is a life together once again with god's people and the presence of our savior beautiful eternity to look forward to and it's not complicated make it simple for you God did it for you. That's it. We broke things. He fixed things. Beautiful. It's hard to live out each day. 
It's hard to wrap our heads around a lot of times. Yet to know that God loves you so immensely and deeply that he sent his son to die for you and will raise you up as he raised up his son. That's a beautiful promise. Thanks be to God for Jesus, our Christ, our Savior, and the Messiah. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us through your Son. We pray that as you continue to lead us each day by your Spirit, that you would direct our hearts and minds towards Jesus and all things to glorify you and to take care of our neighbor. Guard us, Lord. And when folks ask, who is this Jesus? Give us the strength and the courage. Say, he's the Christ, the Son of God, our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. I invite you to rise as we sing.